welcome to another episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to Rebecca Thorne all about her fantastic middle grade debut, The Secrets of Star Wales, which is a heartwarming sci-fi story that revolves around Max, a resilient kid, but one who is struggling with grief and loss thanks to the sudden death of a parent. Living on a space station where your future is determined by a genealogical system, Max's life is thrown for a loop when a mysterious rogue shows up with a damaged ship. Along with his classmates, including his best friend India, this stranger is about to turn Max's world upside down. But is it for the better or for the worse? We talk about our shared love of dogs, many of the fun pop culture references in the book, the secrets of Star Wales, of course, the joy of middle grade, and much, much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, Another reminder that on this podcast, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, if we ever do that again, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices, and this goes all year long. Today's a special day. Not only is it my birthday, but it's also International Women's Day. It's your birthday? You're interrupting my intro. Celebrated since 1911. (laughs) Celebrated since 1911, the purpose of International Women's Day is to, quote, bring attention to the social, political, economic, and cultural issues that women face and to advocate for advance of women within all those areas. Now, I am not a huge fan of celebrating a specific group on that specific calendar day or month. I think we all agree that celebrating women every goddamn day of the year is a worthy endeavor unless they are just awful like some of these conservative types who are just full of hate but we don't talk about them but my point is we shouldn't be confined to one day we should be celebrating the splendor of women all year long so let's make sure that we do that my wonderful guest today recently saved me from a string of gloomy reads thanks to her marvelous debut middle grade book the secrets of star whales rebecca thorne has been writing since she was age 11 And although she prefers fantasy and science fiction, she's dabbled in every genre under the middle grade and young adult umbrellas. She likes her dog. She likes coffee. I love those two things, by the way. And we'll uh, we'll see what else she likes. Please welcome to the show, Rebecca Thorne. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Great to be here. Sorry I interrupted. No, that's totally okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a wonderful day, Ashley. Nice and relaxing and get to interview great people. So I, if I could, this is it. This is what I choose to do with my life. So it's perfect. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Happy International Women's Day. Why? Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Women all over the world are celebrating Megan destroying the royal family. I think, I don't know. uh, Yeah. Wow. That was, that was intense. (laughs) It's still still intense. Uh Um, uh, did you watch any of that? Are you involved? Are you interested? Or you know, I I I don't really follow the royal family too too much. Um, yeah. I have heard some about that, but uh, I'm not going to lie. Most of my focus today was on the GameStop endeavor. All right. Okay. <laughs> yep. So um, so I'm in Canada. So we we you know we are somewhat. I guess we're not somewhat. We are affiliated, right, with the with the Commonwealth. So mm-hmm. a lot of Royal family people in Canada, but uh, it's less and less with each generation though, for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, so, no, it's, in, it's incredibly interesting drama. <laughs> it's uh, I, yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't care as far as like 
what they do uh, the royal family i think they're a bunch of uh, like colonialist like crazy people but uh <laughs> um any anytime I'm, someone gets to maybe bring them down i'm good i'm happy they, they make they make interesting headlines that's for sure they certainly <laughs> do um so you'll have to bring me up to speed on the, what's going on with gamestop then because i hadn't uh hadn't followed any of that for for a while yeah, it uh it flared in January and uh yeah. I mean I I've been invested since then and and I've just been like waiting just just waiting you know and Oh, and I then, see, but uh, nothing new today or uh... No, actually oh, today okay. it rose by $50 from this oh. morning until tonight. So really? that was awesome. I'm back yeah. in the group, which is great. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been a it's been a ride for sure. Yeah, I don't, that's... I don't really gamble, but but this feels a lot like gambling. <laughs> Right. Well, that's the, that is the market gambling. I mean, I don't uh, do too much myself, but I know a lot of people that do day traders and stuff and they describe it the way they describe it is gambling. Like that's, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it feels a lot like that. <laughs> there are obviously, you know, some safe bets. There's no sure bets and there's obviously just, you know, unless you're just using insider information to right exactly yeah. but that's not gambling. Is it? No, no. that's cheating. That's not gambling. Yeah, cheating that's isn't gambling. definitely cheating. Yeah. It's like um, going up to their own game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. Um, well, that's good. I hope it uh, is uh, brings you all the riches in the world. I truly. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I was not kidding though. It did uh, your book the other day. Did we talked about it a bit off air here? It did sort of. Uh, you know, I was on a string of sort of dour reads, and uh, you know, well, and like I said, well, I like them very much. Once in a while, you just want some pure whimsy, right? Some pure yep. thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was saying to you earlier that uh, I just I, I really value books that are pure whimsy sometimes. Um, like I, I can get behind a really good dense read on occasion, but I mean, life is so hard already. There's so much going on, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it's just nice to kind of unwind and read a book that you can finish in in three hours or two, you know. <laughs> um, and I think that that was always my goal when I was writing these books, you know, especially because I really want to I mean, it would be the biggest honor if I was able to get a child into reading, you know, like mm, if they picked up my yeah. book and that was the book that made them realize that this actually is something that could be fun and a good way to spend time, you know? Right. I mean, I, gosh, I, I mean, oh my gosh, I think we all can remember the books that made us feel that way, you know? So I was I just, talking about, yeah, just, I was actually interviewing another author earlier today and uh, we were talking about that exact sort of thing, the books, you know, we grew up reading and uh, it, it's a mix of things, but there's no, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, you find those books sometimes that are just, that just, you know, move your soul and you're just like, oh, now I get it. You know? <laughs> and, and I feel like for a kid, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to find what they like because, you know, by, as an adult, I know exactly what I'll, what I'll dig, you know, like I can pick up any book and be like, oh, it has this theme and this theme and this, and this content. And I'm going to be into this, you know, hmm. dragons are one. I mean, if there's dragons, I'm, I'm there, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so, but, but I think with, you know, with middle grade, it's always kind of an adventure because they don't know yet, you know, like they know what they like, but they might not know how to find that in a novel. And so having easy to read, you know, easily digestible, quick reads with short paragraphs and witty dialogue. I think that was always my goal when I was starting to write. Yeah. And those are all like, yeah, those are great things and not necessarily like, you know, solely owned by middle grade, those things you just listed, but definitely mm -hmm. middle grade, like you know, takes those and runs with it for sure. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And this isn't to say, you know, the stakes have to be low either, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's just more of a parable 
So it's easy for my brain to say, okay, these, in this case, these whales aren't real, these space yep. whales, <laughs> the star whales. Absolutely. Um, and, and that of course helps me adjust in real life because I can, for this, for, you know, like you said, the two or three hours pretend like all of our actual whales aren't being hunted into extinction <laughs> as we right, speak. Right. Yep. And so I can not There's be a little hope to think that there might be whales up, up, up in space, you know? <laughs> right. And I can maybe not be depressed for a few hours uh-huh. while I'm reading this great book um that's uh you know escapism is part of part of the deal right and absolutely and, and you know the one again the great things about middle grade is because middle grade of course focuses on those that preteen age and um or early teen anyways and uh you know that is just a magical time to begin with and as a grumpy old adult i turned 45 today so <laughs> you know and and i read mostly ya um but you know, lots of middle grade too. And there's just something about seeing the world through these young adults, you know, that, that just mm-hmm. brings me so much joy, even, in, yeah. even, even if the book is dealing with like, you know, a serious theme or whatnot. Right. Right. I remember reading a study that was talking about, um, how imagination leaves you as you get older. Yeah. Um, and you know, and so like when you're a kid, you can be given a box and, and like a, you know, like a, and a marshmallow and you can just make like a whole world out of that box and that marshmallow, you know, and, and, uh, and then as you get older, it gets harder. Real life starts to weigh down on you and it gets harder and harder. And, and I read something a while ago and I don't know how true it is across the board, but it was talking about how the reason that adult books have more description is because adults lose the imagination to picture something themselves. Mm. Um, and so like when, you know, they shout like the character, get in the car, the adults are like, well, what kind of car is it? What's the, what's the horsepower? What's the speed? You know? And, and the kids are just like, who cares? Someone's shooting at them. You know, <laughs> like they're Isn't already that... imagining a monster truck or whatever else they want to, they want to picture. So they don't really care what, what kind of car it is. So um, so that was always something that I try to remember when I write, because I, I definitely think that, you know, the more magical and whimsical you can make a book, the more excited kids are going to get about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so like the intro sort of said, and I just stole that from your bio, it says you were, you've been writing since around age 11 ish. So, um, let's do a little bit of history, uh, if you don't okay. mind, yeah, when course. did you, uh, so like age 11 ish for sure, but when did you actually like, when did you get the bug to write and when did you decide that not only you could pursue it, that it could be a career, but when you sort of made the decision to pursue it as a career? Oh my gosh. Um, it's, it makes me so or have happy. you still not? <laughs> I, I just, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I started writing when I was 11 ish. Um, and my sister actually started writing first. I remember the day that she like sat down and wrote something on a word document. And I was just like looking over her shoulder, like, what are you doing? You know, like so confused. And, uh, and then she kept writing and my competitive spirit kind of activated. And I was like, well, I'm going to write too, you know? And, and so like, I started doing it and it just like, it started out as a hobby. And then like, I think I hit like 15 and was like, this isn't even a hobby anymore. This is like an absolute passion. Like, Mm. I don't think I can go more than a couple of days without writing something, you know? Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then it just, it just kind of progressed from there. I, I, I hit a point when I was 18, where I was going to go to college. I wanted to declare creative writing as my major. And my parents looked me in the eye and said, no, you're going to major in something you can actually get a job in. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it yeah. was pretty intense, but, uh, wah, so I, went, wah, wah. I know, right. <laughs> wah, wah, you know, um, and so I went in, uh, and I majored in criminal justice and I got my degree in that. Um, and then I panicked my senior year and decided I didn't want to do that. So I actually became a flight attendant. Um, but the whole time I'm writing the, you know, I'm spending all my free time writing. And right. so like, 
my first year as a flight attendant, I kind of realized like, I'm going to be doing this slog for the rest of my life if I don't start pursuing my dreams right now. So I basically adopted serious writing in pursuit of publication at that point at like 22, 23. Okay. Um, and that became my second job. Like I was doing that. I mean, I'd set aside five hours a day to write or query. Um, and it took me still three books and three years to get a, a literary agent. I think by this point I've written 15 novels. Okay. Um, so it's, it's been a very long road. I got a lot of rejections. Um, yeah. Caitlin, Caitlin picked me up when she was still working at Corvisiero and, um, and it's just been great from there. I mean, I, I'm, I hope to follow her everywhere throughout her career. My, my literary agent, she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, and then, and then Mari found this book, you know, this was actually the second book that we went on submission with. The first one was a YA fantasy that didn't actually get picked up by anybody. So it's the, the name of the game, you know, <laughs> what's, uh, are you, are you, did you, have you quit then the uh, flight attendant or are you still doing that? Oh, no, I'm actually still doing that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> right well, right that's... now I'm technically furloughed, but uh, yeah, no, I definitely, I, I work for Southwest Airlines. I think it's the best airline in the world. I don't think I'll ever quit. <laughs> oh, really? You're going to just, no matter what? Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, it's, I work three days a week and I'm off for four. So oh. it's not like it's anything okay. stressful or strenuous. Right. And, and then I get to see the country. I mean, I've been to almost every state in the country. I've missed Hawaii and the Dakotas mm -hmm. and that's, and that's it, you know? Um, so I think that there's something really beautiful to be said about that too. <laughs> sure. And yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of, a lot of free time for writing anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so while you were, you know, sort of going through school, just, you know, taking the, uh, the criminal stuff and then, you know, changing your mind and then flight attendant, you said you were writing mm -hmm. the whole time. What kind of stuff were you writing at that time? So I always was pretty much in young adult actually. Um, and I, and I try to challenge myself with every new book I write. Um, I always try to go for an area that I know that I need improvement on. Um, so like one book would be, you know, mystery, one book would be horror, one book would be fantasy. Um, I did a couple of contemporary books. Um, and I, I mean, I really have, I've, I try to expand my horizons in that regard. Um, the book that I'm currently working on is actually a young adult contemporary-ish fantasy um, about with like witches. And it's it's very weird. It's got like third person omniscient. Um, there's three different timelines and one of the timelines is told in reverse chronological order. It's it's incredibly complex. Um, and, and I think that I just do that because I want to see if I can, you know. Um, so actually Star Wales was the very first middle grade, so like middle grade book that I ever tried to sit down and write. And I I only really got the idea for it because I watched School of Rock and was like, what would this movie be like with like from the kid's perspective? You know, if I was going to tweak the details here and like follow this through from the child's perspective, what would this what would this be? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of it's I'm, I'm all over. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, well, you saw my tweet. I had School of Rock. I put in tweet. Uh, yeah, nah, no, I, you're, you're actually one of the first people to nail that. So that's, that's well, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why. I'm just a huge fan of School of Rock. A big Jack Black fan too, but yes, uh, absolutely. So I saw School of Rock at the Toronto International Film Festival. Nice. At it premiere, and uh, he was there. Jack Black was there. So, so cool. uh, you know, and then they get on stage after. Anyway, so like it's you know saw it very early on, and and uh, was a big fan of it already. And I remember like hearing about it sort of ahead of time, and you know mm -hmm. seen it a billion times since. And I'm such a big fan of music myself, so um, it was just felt like. You know, I remember the scene where he's assigning homework by assigning them a specific album and song to listen to, depending on what their particular skill was. If you remember that yeah. scene or not, it was just like in the crowd as 
they're going through that scene and he's naming the album and the song or the song title, the crowd is cheering louder each time, mm-hmm. like in the in the audience I was with, because they were just yeah. like so it was all music people, right? So, so they were just excited. like yeah. yeah, super amped. Oh, I about just it. love that. I love that energy. I think that movie just has such a fantastic message and just such a great just energy to it. You know, um, I actually, I spent most of the time writing Star Wheels, listening to the Broadway show on repeat. Oh, right on. <laughs> yep. So. Um, that's very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's such a great, and you're right. Yeah, the energy is insane. And like, mm-hmm. just, I mean, I mean, Jack Black is just a force of nature. Oh my gosh, he's just fantastic. <laughs> and I've been such a fan of his, like I was um, with Tenacious D back when they were just on HBO shorts and stuff. And I've, oh, cool. I've, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been like following him since day one. It's been a really cool, fun, fun way to sort of just like, and I just lucked into it. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I'm no genius. It was just like, oh my gosh, that sounds awesome though. And uh, so I'm such a huge fan of his, but no, like I just, you know, instantly, uh, you know, I don't remember what point in the book I, I'm like, oh, this, this is like School of Rock, but it was, you know, mm-hmm. whenever the first indication was, I guarantee you my brain went School of Rock. Yeah, um but that's, that's a good fantastic. it's yeah, great no and that's why not it's, it's a great story yeah um and then you know we'll talk about but like yeah you, there's obviously a lot of beautiful little you know uh, hitchhikers and so many other mm-hmm. things but um yeah, absolutely um so during you uh, we'll go back to the sort of like you know the we'll call them the rejection years <laughs> yep yep um <laughs> yep some people like listen everyone handles that differently right not everyone's handles it well some people handle it totally just fine and you know yep. shrug, it, shrug it off and keep moving what what are you the former or the latter so i uh i'm actually of the a big mindset that um writing should not overtake your life once you start to try to get published um which kind of sounds counterproductive because i was spending most of my free time doing it for a really long time um but like once i got my literary agent i kind of realized that like she does everything now like she sends out my book to all the submission all i have to do is present her with a new novel and then she just goes and i don't hear anything for months you know like that's not true she talks to me about once a week but but like there's nothing for me to do for months you know your job is just to write yep my job is just to write exactly And, and i think that when you're tying your your life to something that is ultimately in somebody else's hands to decide whether or not it's going to make it or break it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a recipe for disaster. So yeah, um, yeah. so after querying for, you know, during the rejection years, I kind of realized pretty quickly that like, I have to have hobbies, you know, like I have to like go out and play with my dog or like go rock climbing, you know, and, and it can't just be about writing all the time because then when you get a rejection, it's just like, oh my God, I have nothing else going on. And if this is all that I have to look forward to, and then I get this rejection, it hurts so much worse than if you have like 17 other things that you're excited about. And then you get the rejection. You're like, oh, okay, it's fine. You know, I'll move on next week. So here's the great, here's the great thing though. Like, you know, you're, you're going to become a successful author Mm -hmm. and then people will look at you differently. And then you'll get to bring back some of those stories that you absolutely that, yeah, that you felt yeah. strongly about and you'll be able to present them again to the same people and they're, they're going to be like oh this is a great idea like, oh, yeah, absolutely you know I, I don't think that any writing is ever a waste of time ever no no so gosh no no, no you create no. characters you can put in new stories you know you can change settings I, there's always something to fix you know there's always something to go back and pull from it's so it's uh it's it's like almost anything else uh in a lot of ways where uh-huh. you know just it's the more you do the better you get at it right absolutely. And, uh, absolutely um you know it sounds like you you know you sort of like have a high productivity rate so uh, you mm-hmm. know it's that will only serve you serve you better down the road as, yep, as things get as you get more in demand um yeah. so uh yes i have two dogs who are my life and oh, i and i what dream. kind of dog I have a blue healer and a beagle. Oh, cute. 
So oh, two are great breeds. Two two uh, two assholes. I was going to say high energy for the dealer. Two two uh, yeah, but they're uh, but rescues and uh, just just wonderful and are my oh, life. That's so awesome. uh, and I drink uh, a sea's worth of coffee in a day. So yep, I mean, mm-hmm. we would both we yeah. both get along well. I think what uh, yep. what's the what's uh, your dog? What's going on there? So his, uh, his name is Samoa. Um, he's a little Yorkshire terrier. He's actually, I say little, he's, he's huge for Yorkshire. Okay. He's, um, 15 pounds, which right. is like four pounds bigger than they're supposed to be. Right. Um, but it's great. I love him. He's like a sturdy little guy, you know, sure. he's not overweight or anything. He's just big. Um, and he's just, he's just got this great personality. I mean, he's just constant. He actually, you know how they say dogs are like people. Yeah. He reminds me a lot of myself where like, he is so ball driven. He like focuses on it. Like it's no tomorrow. And he's mm. just like, this is my goal. And I will follow this until the end of time. And, and I'm just like, wow, just like me. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a rare thing when I get to talk to an author with a dog, cause there's a lot of cat authors. Yeah. There are a lot of cat people. I'm and not, so, I, I like cats, but I'm not a huge, I don't think I'd ever want to own one. Right. So anytime I talk to somebody, the previous interviewer t- today was a dog author. So it was just like, we talked about dogs too. So any, yep. anytime I get to talk to dogs, I'm, I'm good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I just, I just love them. I think he's just got such a great personality and, and honestly, I like having a reason to get out and go walk around the block, you know? I, well, yeah, I'm a huge book nerd. Like I'm not an athlete. I don't know sports uh, (laughs) so well. So uh, walking my dogs and some days the only exercise I get. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, that's great. I wanted to mention that. I wanted to bring Mm -hmm. that up because uh, us dog Dog people are are, (laughs) in publishing. Us dog people are are the minorities. Absolutely. We are. (laughs) All right. So uh, the secrets of star whales. Mm-hmm. The uh, the summary is long. It's kind of long. Yeah. Like the promotional language of it. Mm-hmm. So, I here's the thing. So you're going to get asked this question, right? Whenever you do an interview, what's the book about? So do you want to practice your, <laughs> you know, your your elevator go to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I um, I operate on a tiered structure. Whenever somebody asks me about my novel, I start with one sentence and then expand as long as they seem interested. You <laughs> go for as long as you want. That's all right. So yeah. um, yeah. So the secrets of Star Wales is basically, in a nutshell, about a grieving boy who is pulled into seeing the wonder of the universe. Um, when a when a new substitute teacher comes into his class and convinces the class that there are whales in the vacuum of space, um, and that's like my one sentence pitch. You know. Um, yeah. It deals a lot about the themes of grief and loss and uh, coping mechanisms for those. Yep. Um, my main character, Max, he uh, he lost his father two years earlier and his mom doesn't like to talk about it. And so he never really had an outlet in order to kind of explain that, you know, to himself and, and make himself feel better in his mind. So he's just like reeling the entire time from this grief that he's convinced himself is fine. And then the star wheels come into play and he starts to find more and more ties to his father while they're exploring space and finding these whales. So I think that, you know, it's just overall, it, I was trying to imbue like that sense of wonder and that sense of hope and the sense of friendship between like the classmates, you know, like I wanted them to feel like a crew when they were done because I'm a flight attendant and like, I know what that feels like, you know, that camaraderie that like, we'll do anything for each other kind of thing, you know, and, and it's really a beautiful thing when it comes together like that. So, so yeah, I mean, just, you know, a great adventure, just a fun spacefaring adventure. <laughs> you sort of like mentioned a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, but but where did the uh, sort of what 
did the story become first or did the characters come first? And, and sort of like, what were what yeah. the, the seeds of this idea? I mean, I know you already mentioned School of Rock and stuff. Yeah, so School of Rock was definitely the catalyst. Um, I remember walking through the grocery store, like picking up my groceries and just like thinking about like where, how I could make that a middle grade book. Like it had middle grade characters in it already, but like School of Rock is not made for a middle grade audience. So I was right. like, how can I tweak this story and then make it so different that no one can really look at it and be like, oh, she copied, you know? I mean, I, I did, I copied a lot, but it, I tried to imbue like a whole new theme in there yeah. in order to make that work. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I, after I decided I was going to go with School of Rock, the teacher came very easily to me because I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think um, I kind of imbued like like I tried to make it more like Matt Smith, you know, where like he just goes in and it's just kind of quirky and kooky and, and, and then it, you know, and his character got tempered down over time. Cause like, I didn't want it to be a carbon copy of, you know, the doctor, but at the same time, I definitely wanted to keep that. Like, I don't know if you remember that episode um, of the whale where they're in space and they realize that the spaceship is the whale and, and they're like shocking the brain of that whale. Yep. Um, and so like that episode that always stuck with me. I just like, I don't know why I just like, that was one of those episodes that I watched and was just like, oh my God, like, you know? Um, and so I kind of wanted to keep like that type of wonder and then like that optimism in the face of just complete normalcy, you know, like the doctor just the entire time he was being told, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. And he was just like, but what if we try? And then when he did, everything got fixed and in an amazing way, you know? And, and I think that that was really the theme that I was trying to bring into this book, you know, just, just that, like that sense of wonder and like, and like, what if there's an adult who isn't really acting like an adult and, and how would that play off of this group of kids? Um, right. That's Mr. Hames is who we're talking about. Yeah, Mr. Hames. The mm -hmm. wonderful Mr. Hames. Um, who's your favorite doctor? Do you have a favorite doctor? Uh, Matt Smith, for sure. He's, okay. He's absolutely my favorite. He's just just lovely. <laughs> just everything about <laughs> just lovely. <laughs> uh, I've met Matt Smith. Have you? Oh, yeah. that's so cool. At a, at a, at, at a convention. Yeah. Oh just, my gosh, yeah, that yeah. is so cool. And not like paid to meet him, like bumped into him and uh, I was like, Matt Smith. And he was like, hey, oh and was just like super, like very quick and stupid and dorky. Yeah, well, and oh, dorky oh, but... was, I bet it was so cool though. Like, I would um, love to meet Matt Smith one day. <laughs> and I go anytime at a convention and Barrowman's doing a panel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been. It is. It'll be the best panel of your life. Oh, that's so cool. He is so great at panels. Oh, <laughs> like even that. if he's got nothing to promote, they always bring him to these conventions, and he does these like one one you know one man shows. Oh my gosh! And oh, that's so awesome. and you know what? If you know you know anything about him in real life or whatever, he's just you know high energy. Mm -hmm. um, usually comes out you know in a in a wonderful outfit. Usually in heels. Um, oh God. <laughs> yeah he's incredible and just you know the reaction they usually put him in the biggest room because like these panels are in demand with him because oh i bet it's not him at a, at a table answering questions which is fine but mm -hmm. he's dancing and singing and the people's reaction especially when they get to you know when they do get to line up you know down the aisles and ask questions and talk to him and stuff and He's just so empathetic and he's so great. And people mm -hmm. just, the reaction to him is just like, you, you feel the energy in the room. But uh, um, oh, I love that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm a David Tennant guy myself, but. David uh, Tennant is, is awesome. Yeah. And I do, and, and, and I, I do really like Jodie Whittaker a lot. Yeah. Yeah. She was yeah. great. Um, so what, I think she's, uh, 
got one more, one more, right? And then- yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I watched um, a bit of the first season with her and then I just, I haven't had the chance to sit down and watch TV lately. So I'm, right. I have her like queued up on my Amazon. Like I bought all the seasons and I'm just like waiting to go back in and like yeah. binge them one day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I really love what I saw of her. I, I absolutely adored. Um, I was excited to see, you know, a woman, obviously. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, she's done done well very well and mm-hmm. i think it's sort of like shut up all the like guys you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know no, the, I, I think, you know I the guy you know those guys oh yeah we, i know those guys yeah. i think we needed that <laughs> um uh okay matt smith well you're not alone there he's yeah he's usually one or two right when people they do these uh rankings but uh mm-hmm. um back to the book yeah. um <laughs> So, I can talk Doctor Who all day, though. <laughs> so, well, me too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure you and I would have wonderful conversations about many things. Uh, so, Azura, did I say yeah. that right? Uh, Azura. Azura. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just seems like a really nice democratic sort of socialist society. I mean, it seems like you're really sort of, you know, until yeah. the, un- until the jerks show up, it's it's there's this lack of self determination sort mm-hmm. of right but mm-hmm. that's out of necessity more than anything else yep but uh but it seems like a pretty nice place to live um why do you uh so i kind of get why max max's thing is he loves it he's a, he's mm-hmm. he's a ride or die azura right mm-hmm. um, yep. india his best friend you know sort of is you know certainly mr haynes inspires her more to be a little bit more mm-hmm. more brave with this more adventurous more yeah. adventurous but but mm-hmm. she's like thinking you know i'd like to maybe uh go out <laughs> once in a while <laughs> absolutely yeah i um when i was creating azura i i really wanted to hone in on the small town gossip i guess um yeah, yeah. I have, you know i have a lot of friends who have lived in small towns and and i've you know visited them at their small towns and and there's just always such a different atmosphere to it mm-hmm. um and uh and, you know i don't know i like i'm not i'm not fairly political as a person i don't really go one way or the other um but i definitely i don't know i just i definitely love the idea of just like all of these people who know everybody and then like how they just gossip nonstop. you know <laughs> like like the most interesting thing that happens in that town is the people in that town so like nobody's secrets are secrets like gossip is a hot commodity and that was definitely something that i thought would translate well with a middle grade audience because you know i mean gosh all, all i did in high school and junior high was gossip you know yeah yeah um so so well yeah, there's so there's there's you know high school politics and then there's like yeah absolutely adult, yeah. Adult there's, politics, there's, there's drama yeah. everywhere you know yeah, so i yeah. think i think that you know kind of identifying that type of thing and and you know giving the characters that ability and then i think what i really wanted to show was kind of like some secrets are too big to gossip about, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that was something that the parents learned. And then it's something that they learned that like over time, you know, like some secrets are too big to spill. So I really wanted to kind of show that growth in those characters as well. Like they started out just like, like trading gossip as for, for, I mean, cupcakes and everything else, you know, and then by the end, they're like this crew that is like, we don't tell anybody, you know, <laughs> um, right. we'll see what happens when they do. So yeah, and part of that, like part of the reason for that too, is because they, the adults in this book, very much like the the kids know their place mm-hmm. in a sense that, like, you know, the adults don't really tell them in anything, <laughs> do they? It's like they don't they don't share a lot. Like you know, and yeah. I and I mean beyond the day to day, you know, dynamic of being a parent mm-hmm. and a child, but right. yeah. So it's like it's an idle hands 
sort of situation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I um, I definitely when I was doing revisions, I had to really beef up their um, like the kids and what they were going to be doing with their lives because initially when I wrote it, it was like every kid was going to follow their parents' path, and right. I realized later like that's completely unrealistic. <laughs> really unrealistic. Um, so I had to kind of go back in and some of them will follow that. Path. Well, yeah, you generally stick to that though, for the most part. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, it was, it was, an, it was tricky. I, um, I, I definitely wanted to kind of imply that like they knew certain things, you know, and, and I, but like, I don't know, like Louisa, you know, she was really into like, like the coding and neither of mm -hmm. her parents coded, you know, and, right, right, and Arsenio right. was definitely like, no, I'm going to be a doctor, but there were, you know, and, and then India, I don't even think I ever mentioned what her mom does. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. Um, but like India doesn't want to do anything on the spaceship she wants or on the space station, she wants to leave and go somewhere else, you know? And, and so like kind of showing that mix of like where the characters are coming from versus where they decide they want to go. I think that's a very core middle grade thing because, you know, you grow up thinking you want to be a doctor or a fireman and then you change your mind 17 times over the course of, you know, your young adult life. And by the time you get out there and you're ready to choose, it's, it's always a big question mark. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, doctor or whatever is fine, you know, in absence of any other options, I guess, mm -hmm. but you know, and that was right. The, but as you discover more about the world, suddenly there's a lot more paths that you can choose. Well, just about more about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was sort of the nice thing, too, about Max right away. You present to, you know, I, I won't say career paths, but mm -hmm. he, he's, he sort of has this thing that he's supposed to be, that he inherited from his father, this engineer, you know, mm -hmm. mechanic type, um, which he does enjoy doing very much. Mm -hmm. But then there's this music angle as well which again he enjoys very much and also it seems that he's also very good at it and yeah. also is a bit of a you know MacGuffin mm -hmm. yep, <laughs> can't absolutely. say why but it's you know it, yep. it, it comes in handy later on for sure mm -hmm. um so it's funny how I because I, I remember thinking this um you gave all these people the exact skill they needed to be on the crew very mm -hmm. convenient, very convenient. Yeah, very conveniently. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> but you but not for India. And I was thinking that when I was reading it, because she's you know, arguably a, a top two or three character. Mm -hmm. Um, but you didn't define her the way you defined the other characters. So I I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, I am um, I'm actually really impressed you noticed that. Um India was always kind of one of those characters to me that kind of seemed undefinable. Sure. I mean, I, she just, she seemed like one of those people that, you know, that would rent the tiny house and then like travel the country for three years, just exploring right. <laughs> you know? yeah. like the person that you like, you, we all know those, we know of those people, but we're all just kind of like, but who really does that? And like India to me would do that. Well, so like giving the her navigator like, job. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense mm -hmm, yeah. Right. So like in my mind, she was always just like the free spirited traveler who like really values her relationships. And that's why she likes Azura because these relationships are here and she really values those. But overall, I think that there was never going to be a point where she wouldn't leave the space station for a period of time and, and go out, you know, and probably right. for a very long period of time. Um, a lot of Max's apprehensions is tied to fear um, mm -hmm. because of what happened with his father. Right. Yes. Um, is that, so one of the things I, you know, liked very much about this book is that it doesn't shy away from, we've talked about, you know, whimsy and fun and middle grade, but it doesn't shy away from tough, tough subjects, you know, trauma, right. trauma mm -hmm. and loss for sure are, are the big ones yeah. and not, and not only through the eyes of the children either. I, I like that you don't ignore the adults. They're not just faceless finger waggers, 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, right? It, like, it's you, a tough line to walk in middle grade because you don't want them stealing the show. Exactly. But you also don't want to write them off as dead. Like, I mean, um, I, I guess I did with, but that was a catalyst for Max. But the rest of them, I tried to keep very present just because you don't want them to just be nameless. Right. And the adult who gets the the heavy lifting is Mm -hmm. basically a child. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Sort of. Uh, And again, interesting, uh, you know, take for you to tie that into an essential part of this book of the narrative, you know, uh, I don't know, we'll say uh, seeing, seeing things through the eyes of a child definitely helps uh, in this case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. But, uh, um, but I like, but I really did appreciate that, uh, a couple of the adults anyway, you really get to explore the space a lot more that I think provides that balance that you needed because I think at some point you knew this was going to sort of get out of hand for the kids. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and they would need at the beginning, it's all like, you know, fuss pot stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like mom okay. stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you're right. You know, at some point, you know, they're going to, you know, the adults would have to step in and, and, and do it. Right. Little, right. And, yeah. I mean, it would be unrealistic to think otherwise, you know. Sure. Um, was that sort of like, like you said, there was sort of like a fine line there, though. What what was during the editing? Would, how did any of that change? Did you have more one or the other? You know, um, I actually, one of the things that I did in editing, um, that was Mari's suggestion, and it was just beautiful. I'm so glad she did it. She mentioned it. Um, I actually really amped up Camille, his mom, Max's mom, and uh, her relationship with Dr. Arsenio. Or, um, Arsenio. I love that. And I'm glad you yeah, brought that up because um, I actually, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, no, their their friendship was actually not in the original draft. I, okay. I had just like the competition between the two kids and and Mari was the one who was like, well, what if we amp that up and like bring Arsenio more to the front and then like show how Max is having such a struggle with this kid who, I mean, like we've all met, we've all met those, you know, especially when we're younger, like you meet those kids who really want to be friends with you, but they're kind of awkward and they don't really know how to express it. And like, you can either be nice or you can not. And Max unfortunately chose the second option. And, Mm -hmm. and I think he, you know, I tried to explain like how bad he felt about that because he knew that that was wrong, but like, he had such a mental break over getting close to that family because of what happened with his dad. Um, and so showing the mom's relationship with, with Arsenio's mom was very helpful, I think, um, because it spurred a lot of anger initially, but I think it kind of showed how like, if, if his mom can move on from this, like from losing her partner, then he can surely be friends with this kid again, you know? Well, I thought it was also an interesting decision too, because uh, up until the third act, Max is the most unlikable character in the book. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing that a lot, actually. Is, yeah. To me, I'm like, he's my main character. So I'm like, no, he's great. But like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that a lot. <laughs> now you, like, we know why. And it's not, yeah. you know, it's not to say, uh, you explain why, yeah. <laughs> you know, very well. Yeah. And it's for a lot of the things you just said, you know, about mm-hmm. about the way, you know, Arsenio and, and all that stuff. Uh, right. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, their families are connected to his dad's death in a way, in a, in a pr- profound way. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's some blame going around, which isn't justified, obviously. But, right. um, yeah, no, I think, you know, Max responds like any young child or child that age probably mm-hmm. would, for sure. Right. Um, right. But, you know, in a fantasy adventure... <laughs> it's just like you know it's you're supposed surprising. to be rooting for this kid and you're just you just want you all you want to do is smack him upside the head uh, shake his shoulders and be like what are you doing you know right um, yeah because i mean yeah, like 
you know only, what I'm, only, I'm sorry, only because like you understand, you know, what's at stake for him because right, he's all, right. his relationship with India is already on shaky ground at that point, especially. Of course. And yeah. things, typical kid, you know, he starts to compound these mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then yep. That, yep. that hole is just way too deep. And, yep, uh, absolutely. And, and then that's sort of when we get to the third act where he has to try and sort of, you know, piece it back together and unravel mm-hmm. it all. But anyways, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, admitting he was wrong. Yeah, I um, I took a lot of inspiration in in his personality from uh, the thing about jellyfish, that main character. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, but it's, I haven't. No. It's just a stunning. I mean, it's it's far more deep than this, but uh, it's just a stunning review of grief and how children handle it. Um, the girl, the main character, at one point goes completely mute because she just doesn't have anything to say. You know, like. Mm-hmm. She just stops talking and like the stuff that she does along the way, like everything that she's doing makes perfect sense when she explains it to you. But like you're watching as an adult and you're just like, oh, no, honey. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is not healthy. No, no. You know? Right. Um, and it's just I, I think that really just stuck with me where it's just like, you know, grief and like having no outlet to express that grief as a child. That just that can make people do really, really stupid things you know yeah oh god and we've all been there oh yeah yeah i mean even as an adult it makes us do stupid things yeah for sure like and and you know you live long enough you suffer through through loss and grief and stuff and and uh your brain is mush and there's just there's just no way and you're not thinking clearly and and it's 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 especially hard for you know people kids at that age Mm -hmm. who have you know aren't have no control you know over so much of their body functions and uh-huh. they're experiencing all these awakenings for the first time. And there's a, there's a, there's conflict all around him. And I like sort of this reverse story circle too, that you did where like, you know, he gets the call to adventure comes to him and he doesn't leave. Right. He doesn't, he's not Bilbo. He doesn't leave yeah, the village. He's, right. He's yeah. not going to do that. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of an, I, I like sort of, you know, trouble finds them as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, him, seeking it out, which I thought was a nice switch yeah. there, but, um, yeah, no, back to the mom, uh, mm-hmm. great character, beautiful in a YA would have been fleshed out way more for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I understand the balance there with you with middle grade and, and mm-hmm. you know, for sure. And agreed, you know, with what you said about having to sort of hold back just a little bit, yeah. but mm-hmm. so important, uh, to Max's, you know, character arc overall. Mm-hmm. And, and I was going to ask you know, especially the part about the, you know, the dealing with loss and stuff. And because it's, when you get to that point, especially there's a couple of scenes, you know, like hospital sort of flashbacks and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, That can derail a story a lot of times. Yep. Um, Right. Because that's some serious stuff and people like, where's the line? Cause you don't want to bum people out too much. Right. (laughs) And then it's so, Where's the line there? Did you, was that a concern at all? That was that you come know, up in, in editing at all? I think that didn't actually come up in editing too much. Um, I think when I was writing it, my entire, my idea with that was that it happened two years ago and it was in the past. So there would be these flashbacks, these moments that like he would remember very vividly. And then I kind of think that the rest has just faded away, you know, like, like that's how time, that's what time does to memories, you know, yeah. like it, Kind of it softens them it fades it makes them fade you remember the mo- points of high emotion or like you know like when you were felt ex- incredibly happy or like incredibly depressed and then the rest of it just kind of you know fades like like i sure. couldn't tell you what i was doing on a tuesday afternoon two years ago you know right 
Um, so I think that that was kind of more what I focused on. Like instead of showing everything about his relationship with his father, I kind of tried to focus on the moments of like absolute happiness or like absolute, you know, misery that happened that kind of like ended up rounding out their, their life basically. Hmm. Um, you know, I like this sort of idea that, you know, until there's actual conflict, you know, this the conflict, you know, quote unquote, consists mm -hmm. mostly of, you know, just like the inner workings of preteens trying to figure out who they are, what they are and what they yeah. want to be. And, you know, you have this sort of like structure in the classroom and it, but it dawned on me that you don't really like, even the bullies aren't really bullies. Like there's no, mm -hmm. it seems like a pretty genial sort of environment, you know, in spite of the harshness of, of the locale and space. Yeah. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm wondering how much, and even so in the third act, when, you know, stuff starts to go down and, and the real conflict enters the story, I was wondering, you know, was, is there, was there any point where you thought any decision I make with these kids now in the first and second act has to, has to be productive so that it prepares them for what's coming in the third? Yes. Yeah. I mean, to a point, I would say. Um, because, it, cause, and I'll tell you, I, the reason I ask is because a lot of it, it they felt, this, those conflicts in particular felt like you were preparing them for something else. Mm -hmm. And I can't really say it because it's kind of a spoiler. But it's, some, you know, it's, it's, let's just put it this way. You're preparing them more for life after. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I'm always a big fan a, of apart from the central conflict, which is coming right. in the third act. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think for me, like there are a lot of times that I try to bring, like, like you said, MacGuffins in where like you establish something very early on and you pull it through the story and then it shows up in the end and you wrap it up with a nice little bow, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I think as a writer, I, tr I personally try to avoid doing that every single time, mm -hmm. mostly because I think that life is not really like that. Right. You know, like you can learn a really great skill when you're 18 and it might never come back up again. You know? Right. Um, or like you could have a really productive conversation and then find out a week later that that conversation you thought was really productive ended up being some about something completely different than you actually thought it was about, you know? Right. Um, and to me that just adds like, like, I know as a reader, like, like, and I know when I'm reading too, I'm like, but, but they mentioned this, it must be a plot point. And like, I, I, I don't know, I kind of find a little bit of like sadistic glee and being like, no, it's not, you know? <laughs> Um, and kind of like just letting it fade away because I think that that's just kind of how life is sometimes. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's good because it speaks to sort of like a broader, you know, sort of concept and, you know, this is, this is a, a slice of life sort of idea, right? right. Where, you know, right. this world continued long before we joined it and will continue long after. We'll continue so, long after yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, before we go, I wanted to, I'm a big proponent of uh, charity work. So I wanted to make sure that I mentioned Hungry for Music. Yes, please do. Oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, so I'll, you know, I'll let you, uh, I'm gonna let you sort of take it then. I could just read what you wrote, but I'd rather hear it from you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, early on, I mean, I think I was like 21 um, and I, I decided that I don't, I mean, I, I have a job, you know, I have a job. I don't need the royalties to survive. If I did, I think I'd be a much more miserable person. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, there was never a point where I was like, oh, I want all of this money to myself. You know, like I, I don't, I don't, there's, there's just a lot of things that I think could be beneficial in this regard. And I picked, you know, music because I, I, I was, I ran with the band kids. I actually wasn't really a music player myself. Like I did orchestra very briefly. And then and then left, you know, but, but I, I mean, all my friends were band kids and orchestra geeks, you know, and, and, and I just watched how, what, like how much joy they found from, like, they, they found such a community and a sense of belonging just through their instrument. 
you know, and, and a lot of them, like a couple of them actually went on to become music teachers and, and get, you know, masters and PhDs in music. And, mm. and it's just one of those things where I looked at this book and I was like, like, I, I want it. My goal is always has always been to pick a charity that directly relates to the novel. And so when I was looking for a charity for this one, it was so obvious to me that it would have to be Hungry for Music because they their entire purpose is to put instruments in the hands of people who maybe can't afford them, you know, right. and, and I mean, instruments are not cheap, like especially mm. when you're when you're a kid, sometimes in a lower impoverished area. That's that's a, that's huge. You know, I mean, giving giving a child the ability to find that community within their school system because they have this instrument. That's that's huge. So. So, yeah, I'm of course, I'm, I'm incredibly happy to donate every, you know, 10 percent of every paycheck that I get from Star Wales to this cause, because I think that there's nothing grander than than hearing about that. So. And where can people go to find more information about that? Yes. Yeah, so they can go to the Hungry for Music website or if you go to my website, um, I have a link under the charity section. Okay, and that's RebeccaThorne.net. RebeccaThorne.net. Um, her publicist is Emily Temple. <laughs> yes, correct. Yes. <laughs> mentioning her again. My, my goddess of publicist. Yes, Emily. Um, so this book comes out March twenty third, mm-hmm. and I'm not a fan of pandemic profiteers myself. So if if we can avoid the scary bald guy, is there anywhere you would like prefer people picked up this book? You know, um, any local any local bookstore, um, or if you wanted to just pre-order directly off of my my website, my publisher is a you know mid-level publisher, and Perfect. they would really love the support. So right on. So that that way, bookshop.org is always a good one too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, local indie places are the best, but definitely uh, Recathorn.net is your going to be your your uh, best best bet at finding uh, the best place to do that. Absolutely, uh, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> I, uh, I am a life is too short for bullshit type of person. So when I tell you, I liked it, I mean, it. yep. <laughs> um, I, uh, I enjoyed it a lot and, uh, it was so much fun and, um, you know, the, there's just so much uh, rich stuff there for, for more story to tell too. Uh, you know, if that's even a, an option or what they're talking about, but you know, hopefully people out there buy gobble this book up and maybe they come back to you and say, Hey, I think there's a, I think there's a sequel. I mean, if they did, I definitely have ideas. There's a YA sequel. Yeah, I mean, totally. You know, I could be one of those Rick Riordan type things where it just levels with the kids. We'll follow, (laughs) we'll follow them all through this, through this whole thing. And, um, uh, again, this was a non-spoiler conversation. So we, you know, we didn't talk about any of the stuff that happens in this book, really Uh, certainly nothing with the whales and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the purpose uh you know for everyone to be where they where they happen to be at the time and uh there's some really fun stuff and the third act is is was exciting there's a lot of really cool fun exciting stuff that happens in the third act and uh regardless of what i may have said about poor max he don't worry by the end he uh <laughs> poor, poor guy i feel so bad for him <laughs> <laughs> you, you i trust me everyone you'll love max in the yeah, end I'm like, he's, yeah. he's lovely i think he's great but yes i understand where people might might think otherwise depending Just, on the Right. <laughs> don't don't give up on Max is the uh, the the thing we want to make yep. sure people understand. Don't give up on Max. I like that. <laughs> um, Rebecca, thanks so much. Good luck with the launch. And, Thank you uh, so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Of course. There you have it. Another episode of Everything Is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Rebecca for taking the time to chat. If you're looking for a heartfelt and fun middle grade story, The Secrets of Star Wells is the book for you. It's out now, so head on over to RebeccaThorne.net to find out how to get your hands on a copy. And to learn more about that charity, Hungry for Music, that we talked about, head on over to HungryForMusic.org. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen, and head on over to Sunlinks.com for the latest movie, TV books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.